Here's the thing though. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today and I'm here with my producer slash editor slash partner, Mitch Price. I feel like I should mention that because one of my friends like told us the other day, she was like, oh, I was listening to the podcast and you never say that Mitch is your boyfriend. You just say producer slash editor. I mean, it's not I just kind of assume people know because we talk about our relationship a lot in the podcast. But I just, I introduce him as producer slash editor to like contextualize why, why you're here. Yeah, exactly. I feel like this is a, a professional, you know, context. Yeah. yeah the relationship is, is to the side. Yeah, it's secondary. When, 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 yeah, when we're in this room recording. <laughs> so, yes, producer, editor and partner. Hey. But anyway... Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and future, and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land, and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how are you? I'm good. I'm not too bad. I feel like my week has been mostly uneventful, but I'm glad to be here. How about you? Yeah, I'm good. I feel like I was feeling quite down last week and I do feel like I'm doing a bit better at the moment. I had a really productive day at work yesterday, which was nice. Yeah, and no, I feel the same. I feel I was when I was editing last week's episode, I was like, man, like we really started off with some <laughs> real COVID depression. Like that was yes. that was a bit much. I had a couple of people DM me actually on Instagram and ask me if I'm okay. And, which is really sweet of you guys. And no, I wasn't okay, but I'm okay <laughs> now. Even I know, listening back, I'm like, damn. <laughs> I really was not okay. <laughs> um, but we're doing better now. We're doing a lot better now. I think we've adjusted to COVID. I know I've adjusted, I think, by now. I'm kind of feeling a bit better about it. It was also just really scary in the beginning because we didn't really know what the rules were yet. And, like, um, we weren't fully sure, like, who we were allowed to see and, like, what are we allowed to do. And now I feel like it's become a lot clearer what the expectations are of this lockdown. And um, they clearly know. listened to our podcast and decided <laughs> to, <laughs> to fix things. They were like, up. "Oh, Celia and Mitch are quite mad at us. Maybe we should, maybe we should clarify what we want to do." Yeah, I think I more. heard that they played the podcast in like a in a meeting uh, <laughs> in the House of Representatives. Well, there you go. Look at us creating change. But yeah, so it's it's just become a bit better now. I think I'm also just like doing a little bit better because I'm happier with my apartment. It's slowly feeling more and more like home. Can you believe this is now my fourth week in this apartment? That's crazy. I feel like I moved like three days ago, <laughs> <laughs> but I've actually been living here for like nearly a month. It'd be a month in the weekend, be mm. a month on like Saturday, which is, you know, wild. Um, definitely doesn't feel like it. I think lockdown has just eaten up all our time and it just, you know, doesn't feel like any time has passed since then. And yet so much time has passed. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's good in the sense that, you know, it's, it's actually starting to feel like my home a bit Aww. more. And, you know, I have most of my furniture now. Still no couch. I think I'm going to update you guys every week on whether or not I have my couch. At the moment, and I still don't have a couch because it's still stuck in Bondi. And now that restrictions are even tighter, Lord knows when I'm going to ever be reunited with this couch. But Or just united. You know, I know yeah. we haven't even <laughs> met yet. <laughs> um, that's pretty much the last thing because I've ordered, like, I've got a couple of bits of furniture coming tomorrow. 
And then after those, like my couch is pretty much the only thing that I actually need that's missing, um, which is so annoying because I bought it a month ago. But anyway, that's me. I'm doing okay. We're doing all right. That's good. I'm going to launch us into some follow-up because I actually have a couple of things I want to talk about in follow-up before we get into today's topic. The first one, of course, is Free Britney. We are going to do, I reckon, some weekly updates on Free Britney. There have been more reports from other celebrities around her or that know her of Britney being kind of just like drugged beyond recognition. It's really sad. Most recently was AJ McLean. He's a member of the Backstreet Boys, for those of you who don't know who he is. Uh, he went on and told Andy Cohen that the last time he saw Britney, it broke his heart. He said that they ran into each other at a cupcake store, which, side note, that's such a random place to bum it. Like, we don't have cupcake stores here. That's not really a thing. Is that a thing? Apparently, Clearly, they right. met at a cupcake store. But oh. <laughs> um, yeah, he ran into her at a cupcake store and was all like, hey, it's AJ. And she kind of just like did not recognize him, which like for most people probably like would make sense because she's very famous but they are actually they're actually friends you know they've known each other for like decades it is odd for her not to recognize him and he was like it's 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 me and then she was kind of like oh yeah and you know it came to her and then they talked for a little bit but he said that she just kind of seemed like a shell of who she once was and that he just like he didn't recognize her as well like it just didn't feel like talking to Britney and how it really really broke his heart because it just kind of showed what she's dealing with and how she is suffering um, and how this conservatorship has been affecting her. And then he went on a rant, which I love, pretty much about Free Britney, calling the conservatorship brutal and, like, calling for its end. And it was great. I love that, you know, he's, like, vo- I mean, a lot of people are vocally supporting Britney. It's not, like, new. But it was nice to see somebody not hold back. I feel like some celebrities are like, oh, Britney, we're here for you. We support you. And he was like, this is fucked. Free my girl, Britney. <laughs> like, which, I, which I loved. I love that for Britney. Um, and also Brittany now has her own legal team. I think we mentioned last week that her lawyer and everybody just yeeted themselves out of, out of the case. Um, but she's been granted permission to hire her own legal team. And now she's going to sue the shit out of her family, which I am so happy for her. Honestly, get them sis. Uh, she also told her family to eat shit in an Instagram post (laughs) and she's now started to use, she, a, a few days, like just a few days ago, she used Free Britney, the hashtag, for the first time in a tweet. Wow. And it was like a really, it was a moment. I feel like we were all just having a moment because it was just like, oh my God, like all these years of speculation and like wanting to help her but not even fully knowing if something is wrong. And now she herself is validating like the Free Britney movement and using the hashtag in her posts. I just love that. Like I'm just, I'm so happy for her. I feel like she's really building on the momentum that this movement has created on her behalf and like she seems like she's on a war path and she's fucking ready to get out of this conservatorship and I really hope that that happens for her. Yes, fingers crossed for Britney. Free Britney. Um, the second thing I want to get into in follow-up is just, I mean, we already kind of did a quick COVID update, but I'll just broaden that a little bit because last episode we talked significantly about the shortcomings of the government when it comes to COVID and then like a lot of the stuff we talked about, the situation kind of changed like the day we <laughs> published the episode. So I just thought I would talk about that a little bit. Uh, the first one was that we talked about how there is no job keeper and how that's pretty fucked because a lot of people are obviously out of work given we're under a lockdown. We're like, are we in our third week, our fourth week now? Mm, Something like that. Time is just... I don't... I'm pretty sure lockdown started like a day or two after I moved out and I would have been moved out for four weeks on Saturday. Mm. So it would be nearly four weeks, right? right? Yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah, so the government has now introduced some payments 
uh, COVID-19 disaster relief payments for people who lose work because of lockdowns that last longer than a week. I feel like initially they sounded pretty good. People who lose between 8 and 20 hours of work, so less than 20, I think they get like 375 a week. And then people who have lost more than 20 hours get $600 a week. But also those payments are actually still below the poverty line, which I kind of, yeah, it is concerning because like if you were a single parent living in a house in Sydney and the average, you know, rent, at least in kind of my area for like a small family in Sydney would be about 600 bucks a week. And like if the payment is 600 bucks a week, that only really covers your rent. Yeah, I mean, it's better than nothing, it's, but yeah. it's, it's incredibly insubstantial still. Yeah, it's like, it's uh, well, the good thing is they have put a moratorium on evictions, which means you can't be evicted at the moment mm. instantly, which is really important. But also, it's like one of those situations where you just sit down and reflect on capitalism for a bit, and you're like, damn, the fact that we have to put one of those up because some people would evict someone during a pandemic is so fucked. <laughs> Fuck landlords. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we have this payment going now. The eligibility is quite narrow, though, I believe, because – and look, this information is changing all the time about this payment. There's still a lot of confusion among publications of, like, what the actual rules are, so this may change. But at the moment, as far as I'm aware, people aren't entitled to the disaster relief payments if they are already receiving welfare payments from the government – so if you're already on like youth allowance or ab study or whatever, like you wouldn't also be able to get the disaster payments, which I'm not happy about. I mean, I'm not eligible for any of them anyway, because I'm still working full time and I'm, I'm unaffected financially by the pandemic. But I just think like there's a lot of uni students who get youth allowance and then also work quite a bit a week to make ends meet because youth allowance is like what, 300 something a fortnight. If you live at home, I think it's a little bit more if you don't live at home. But like a hundred and something bucks a week is not a lot of money, especially if you pay board or rent, considering you could lose all your retail or whatever income, like your side job income as a student and not be entitled to welfare payments because you get youth allowance doesn't really seem right to me. I just think it's really, really expensive to live in Sydney. It is so expensive and we sh- it should be higher. Than- or at least I think anybody who's lost that amount of work should be allowed to get these payments is what I think personally. I don't think it should matter if you're already getting welfare payments. But those are the rules at the moment. Hopefully that'll change. The other thing I wanted to bring up was that the AstraZeneca vaccine is now recommended by health professionals, although to a limited group of people. So we talked briefly in the episode last week about vaccine ads and the pressure to get vaccinated, but the government wasn't actually recommending AstraZeneca vaccines and people my age who aren't you know, fitting certain health criteria, like are not eligible for the Pfizer vaccine. Mitch and I just checked our eligibility today. We are not eligible for the Pfizer vaccine, which is obviously creating some anger because it's like, don't fucking tell me to get vaccinated and then not recommend the vaccination to me. Like, what can I do? So now, um, given the really terrible outbreaks in New South Wales and in particular parts of Sydney, the health recommendations have changed. So now the AstraZeneca vaccine is recommended to people living in or near hot zones that don't have access to Pfizer. So if you are not eligible for Pfizer or there are no Pfizer vaccinations that you can take and you live in an area where there are a significant amount of cases or there is an outbreak, especially of the Delta variant, you are recommended to get the AstraZeneca vaccine. They're telling you that you should do it, that it is very much worth the risk of any blood clots you could get. And also, I mean, it's worth noting that I think the odds of dying from blood clots from AstraZeneca at our age is roughly the same as getting struck by lightning. It's very unlikely, extremely unlikely. You're 
probably going to be fine assuming you don't have any like underlying medical illnesses that would already exacerbate this issue so you can and should get vaccinated with the AstraZeneca vaccine and it's pretty um accessible my brother just got vaccinated and he doesn't fulfill any like criteria and he's 20 so it's not that hard to book it through your GP uh just some info that I think would be useful for a lot of you the last thing I have from follow-up this follow-up from yay back one of our earlier episodes we did an episode a while ago um about islamophobia in france and in europe where we talked about hijab bans niqab bans bans on religious statements bans on being muslim <laughs> like we talked about islamophobia in europe and then just this week in the past week the european union court has ruled that hijabs can now be banned in the workplace they're trying to soften it by being like, oh, but it's only under specific circumstances. But let me read you these circumstances. This is what the court said. A prohibition on wearing any visible form of expression of political, philosophical or religious beliefs in the workplace may be justified by the employer's need to present a neutral image towards customers or to prevent social disputes. However, that justification must correspond to a genuine need on the part of the employer and in reconciling the rights and interests at issue, the national courts may take into account the specific context of their member state and, in particular, more favourable national provisions on the protection of freedom of religion. So basically what's happening here is that businesses have the right to ban like religious expression and I should I should specify I know it says like a vague definition of what that is like it just says expressions of political philosophical or religious beliefs but this court decision happened because two German women that were told to remove the hijab at work took it to court like this is their court case so this is about hijabs because it was pushed by two women who tried to appeal this in court because they were told not to wear a hijab at work so while it might sound vague, this is in reference to hijabs. And that's also intentional. Like the vagueness is to make it seem like it's not so explicitly hateful. But yeah. the thing is, is that it's all covered under like a discourse of, you know, everyone needs to be uh, united and the same. And these are actually like th- these types of garments just uh, provoke division. And so they, they use this vague terminology mm. to, to cover the really racist, hateful undertones. Yeah, exactly. And I think something that's, um, I mean, obviously this is a huge blow for Muslims in Europe and also a huge win for fascism in Europe because Muslims are just being erased every single fucking day and having their rights and their freedoms just slowly eroded. But something that I wanted to talk about was like the idea that um, any visible forms of like, you know, religious beliefs could compromise the neutral image towards customers and that removing those could prevent social disputes. Like I think that part really bothers me because think about all the racism we experience in the workplace. Like did we introduce a whole new thing to ban racists to prevent social disputes? Because what's hap- it's victim blaming because what's happening here is like you can ban my hijab for making racists uncomfortable but you can't ban racists for making me uncomfortable. The idea that the hijab is inherently politicized and inflammatory um, and divisive is obviously racist within itself, but also the idea that it's more divisive, inflammatory and political than racism is the shocking part here. The fact that we went this far to try and ban hijabs when we could have just like banned people that are trying to ban hijabs 
is a big deal. It is victim blaming. And what it does is make Muslim women feel like they are inherently aggressors, that they are inherently others, sorry, othered. They're inherently alien. Like they don't belong in this space. And by merely existing in these spaces, they are creating division and they are making other people uncomfortable and they are compromising the quote unquote neutrality of a company like just the messaging it's so hostile towards muslim women and it's it's essentially telling us that we shouldn't be here and that us being here is a threat and that we need to spend every single day trying not to be a threat because we are inherently one fucking racist man and it's just it's just devastating it's so it's so sad like i honestly i just think about muslim people and particularly hijab wearing muslim women in Europe and how devastated they must be feeling right now and how alienated and abandoned and hated they must be feeling right now. And you know what? Like we said in the France Islamophobia episode, these countries constantly talk about how Muslims don't assimilate and how they are turning against us and getting radicalized by terrorists. And it's like, you know what? You create terrorism. You create terrorism when you alienate and subjugate an entire group of people for no fucking reason. Like, no shit young Muslim kids are, you know, vulnerable to radicalization from terrorists. Like, you are making them feel like they don't belong here and then a right-wing organization is going to tell them, look, see, these people hate you, but we don't and we will provide a home and help you get revenge. Like, you are fucking creating the circumstances that terrorists are born in. It's just devastating. It just angers me and it's so upsetting. And it's upsetting for me as somebody in Australia. I can't even imagine what it's like for people that are actually in Europe. Unfortunately, that is not the last time we're going to talk about racism in this episode (laughs) because we are going to talk about a lot of different kinds of racism and a lot of different kinds of anti-Muslim racism today because we are going to talk about Katie Hopkins. I'm sure a lot of you are already quite familiar with Katie Hopkins just because she has been in, you know, headlines for the last few days. She's been like the top story. Um, But we're going to talk about her, her right wing commentary and just kind of the politics and discourse around her entering Australia. She's British and potentially being on a reality TV show and then getting deported. Um, There's quite a lot actually that like her story and case implies about the broader Australian like politics and media sphere that I think is really interesting. Cool. Cool. Let's get into it. For those of you who don't know who Katie Hopkins is, she is God a- bless you. <laughs> oh, the innocence. The naivety. <laughs> I wish you could continue living your life not knowing who Katie Hopkins just, just is. Just stop listening now. Just turn it off. Yeah, you don't just, need to know. You're going to lose like five years of your life. But <laughs> Katie Hopkins is a far right, far, 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 far right commentator from uh, England. She's British. Like, oh, so fucking right wing. I had a squiz of her Wikipedia page and it honestly made my skin just break out into hives. <laughs> she is... Let me give you a rundown on who this woman is. Let me tell you the stuff that she's most notorious for. And mind you, this is a snippet. This is just a snippet. She she got fired from her radio job because she called for a, quote, final solution uh, to London's Muslim problem. Uh, For those of you who, again, don't recognize that term, it is a Nazi term that was used 
in terms of like ethnic cleansing of Jewish people in the Holocaust. It was considered the final solution to like the quote Jewish problem. So she was first of all already spouting Nazi fucking Holocaust quotes towards Muslims. Uh, she called migrants cockroaches and feral humans. She believes in and advocates for the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory of white genocide. She actually believes that migrants are out here trying to make white people a minority, which kind of makes me want to laugh because I'm like, oh, so you agree that minorities are treated badly? <laughs> you fucking idiot. But anyway, um, she also called Romani people a slur and said that they aren't travelers. They're, quote, feral humans. She's anti-Black Lives Matter. She actually said, Dear black people, if your lives matter, why do you stab and shoot each other so much? I just can't. I feel like my life is draining out of me as I keep reading this. She was also arrested at an airport in South Africa for spreading racial hatred. She's pretty notorious for being pro-white South African and, like, doesn't seem to acknowledge that they initiated an apartheid. (laughs) Like, just classic colonizer. Uh, she's also extremely fat phobic. She went on a rant in an interview saying that, yes, she would not hire an obese person because they look lazy and would be bad for her company's image. She's obviously been caught in a lot of legal battles because of just her absolutely fucked atrocious behavior, uh, including one with the Mahmoud family who she falsely linked to Al Qaeda. So they sued her. Uh, she also was sued by a mosque because she falsely linked them to a violent extremist attack as well and she's been permanently banned on twitter for inciting like hatred and her like hateful content so yeah that's who she is you know she's also a trump supporter and has been like really like supported by trump who's like he's complimented her and said how she's doing so much for the muslim problem in london like this is who she is okay and she was she was fucking banned from Twitter before Trump was. But anyway, now that you know all this really damning information about Katie Hopkins, it's no surprise that majority of the public attitude towards her in Australia is, fuck that lady, she is awful, she is a white supremacist. But despite that, Hopkins was brought to Australia by Channel 7 to star in Big Brother VIP. She was allowed into Australia Um past our very, very strict borders that have been closed since the COVID pandemic began on the grounds of economy because, you know, she's going to be in a rally TV set. There there are a bunch of other stars that also have come to the country, including fucking Caitlyn Jenner. I'm just like, what is this? The right wing Olympics? Like, I don't... Why is Caitlyn Jenner here? But anyway, uh, so she came in. She was in hotel quarantine in Sydney. But of course, she went on a rant bragging about ways that she was undermining the lockdown and quarantine rules like she was talking about violating the rules and how she's gonna do this and she's gonna do that and she like went as far as calling the lockdown a hoax and she basically was spreading like covid conspiracies which obviously created a lot of anger not that we didn't already have reasons to be angry toward her because like you know people are dying from the pandemic right now and people are miserable because we've been locked up at least in sydney we've been kind of stuck in our houses for weeks now we're all fucking miserable we're struggling financially like it's not a fucking joke it's not fucking funny and then it's even worse because like so many australians are stranded outside and they want to come back in and then there's katie hopkins who's just treating it all kind of like it's a joke uh so people were really fucking mad at her naturally and because the anger towards her contempt for quarantine was so intense She has since been dropped by Channel 7. She's also had her visa revoked for violating and breaching COVID procedures. 
And now, as of last night, she's, I think she's due to be deported today, like at time of recording. She's supposed to be deported today, this afternoon. So yeah, it's been a wild ride. She should hopefully leave the country today. But there are actually three key points about this story that are of interest to us. The first one, which is oh, Mitch's face when he asked me this, why did Channel 7 get such a hateful person onto their show? I just don't get who wants to see this. I just, I don't know. Well, exactly. Okay, the question is how Channel 7 thought this was even a fucking good idea in the first place. But to me, like, the answer was almost obvious. It's the exploitation of racism for entertainment. It's because fucking racist white people in these, like, companies think it's funny. It's good TV to see somebody be racist to another member. And it really concerns me because, like, there are obviously going to be people of colour on this season. There will be at least one. And, like, how could you endanger them and put them in a situation where they would have to deal with somebody like Katie Hopkins, who is obviously racist? I just think, like, Channel 7 would have been endangering any people of colour on set by having Katie Hopkins on there. And I bet they thought it was good entertainment. Because that's, that's what we've seen previously anyway in other shows, like The Bachelor. The Bachelor is Channel 10. But, like, in Lockie's season, for those of you who watched The Bachelor... If that means anything to you. If that means you. anything to you... <laughs> We had a Pakistani woman called Ariba and she we watched her be subject to a racist rant from some white girl that was spouting like proper like kind of white supremacist ideas about like superior bone structure and white faces. It was kind of fucked. Um, so this girl went on a racist rant and pretty much targeted Ariba in the show. And so the producers paired them together. For a challenge? Because it's good TV. Because it's good TV. Because they honestly find this entertaining. It's not racism. It's drama. For them, it's drama. And I think that's just sickening. All right? There's something that actually really boils my blood is the way that reality TV will treat, like, legitimately fucking dangerous behavior like racism or homophobia, as we've seen in maths. And, like, they'll think it's funny to pair people, like, marginalized people with, like, bigots. And I genuinely believe that's what would have happened. What else, What the fuck else would have happened to Big Brother? Are you telling me Katie Hopkins, who is proud of the term racist, she has said it in interview before, like, yeah, call me racist. If racist is what I'm doing, then, then I'm proud because, like, I'm just trying to protect white people. Like, girl is proud to be racist and you're going to put her on a show with all these other people and I guarantee you at least one of those people would have been a person of colour because, like, these days, you kind of have to have at least one person of colour in your show. It's horrific. It's sickening and it's racist. Like they were providing her a platform. They were going to put her on fucking primetime television. Why? I mean, we know why, obviously. It's because racism sells for them anyway. White people think racism is funny. The other thing I wanted to talk about was how Katie Hopkins got into the country in the first place. Because obviously it's really fucking hard to get into Australia right now. Like people have been, Australian citizens are currently trapped on the wrong side of the border and have been trying to get in for like months. We have a specific amount of people that we are allowed to let into quarantine every week. And like a lot of people are on that wait list. So how the fuck was a racist? Somebody who is literally banned off Twitter. Like, do you know how people are not banned off Twitter and how fucked they are? And yet she is, like, that's how bad she is. Like, how was she allowed into the country for something like this? There has been a lot of anger, I think, in general, about how celebrities and movie stars and stuff are just kind of flying in and out of the country at their own whim. Uh, You know, there's been actors like Matt Damon and Natalie Portman and Christian Bale that have kind of been coming in or out of Australia since our borders closed. And some of them even got permission to quarantine at home. 
There's a lot of rage right now from Australians who are trapped on the wrong side of the border because they're separated from family and friends. They like genuinely are taking this pandemic seriously and they want to come home. I've seen a lot of Twitter commentary of people like asking what their citizenship is really worth. If like the one thing you would think your citizenship guarantees you is the is the right to enter the country that you're from. Like that's, I feel like the one thing you kind of would rely on with a citizenship and yet they're not allowed to, despite people like Hopkins being allowed to. It's just one of those things where this, is, this isn't and never has been about health. I mean, I feel like a lot of you probably know like our opinions on borders anyway, or you can guess our opinion on borders given all of our other beliefs. I'm obviously against borders. I don't think we should fucking have borders. I don't think that we should have strict borders that deny, like borders are steeped in racism, essentially. The only reason they really exist is because of like capitalist motivations to do with like products, goods, shipments, profits. I don't think we should be banning people, you know, unless they're like a terrorist from entering a country. Like people should be allowed to move where they want to move, especially if they're from that country. But anyway, I think, yeah, there's been a lot of rage because our government like continually claims that the reason that our borders are closed and as strict as they are is because of health. But like every celebrity or person with money can come in and out based on like stimulating the economy. Which just, like, what does that even mean? And then, of course, there's Hopkins' deportation. While I'm glad she's getting yeeted out of here, uh, I've seen some conversations actually in my work chats about what precedent this sets for deporting people based on bad character. I'm just going to read you this section from The Guardian. Australia's immigration laws contain broad discretionary powers to refuse entry to people the government considers of bad character. These have been used to block the entry of the conspiracy theorist David Icke and the US whistleblower Chelsea Manning. During the pandemic, Australia has imposed strict limits on the number of people allowed in hotel quarantine. Since July, just 3,070 arrivals are allowed each week, despite there being more than 30,000 Australians stranded overseas and seeking to return home. When asked if the federal government had given Hopkins a visa because she was considered of good character... Andrews replied that she was clearly not someone that we want to keep in this country for a second longer than we have to. And I think, yeah, we should have a really important conversation right now about like what bad character means and who is and isn't allowed into the country. Because I find it quite shocking that Chelsea Manning wasn't allowed into Australia and yet Katie Hopkins was. And it kind of us... it sets a dangerous precedent of what Australia as a country, as a political state, deems bad character. Because by this logic, Chelsea Manning, who exposed fucking war crimes of the US government, was banned entry in Australia because of that. And yet Katie Hopkins, who incites hatred against minorities, was allowed in. And like the Guardian quote just said, like when asked about if we fucking thought she had good character, like how the hell was she considered good enough character to enter the country? They just deflected it. They just deflected it. They didn't answer the question. Because the only time the bad character thing is used to not let people in is when they've done really, really serious quote-unquote crimes or they're just like socialists and our government are capitalist fascists. Like The Chelsea Manning thing, I think, is a pretty clear example of how this discretionary power is abused. It does make sense when they don't let like anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists into the country. But I remember last year, or actually probably not last year because of COVID, it must've been the year before, but I was going to a talk um, by a Palestinian American activist and he was banned from coming into Australia. So the talk couldn't go ahead because of his insightful politics. You know, he was banned based on the discretionary 
um, powers the government has for bad character and he's just like talking about Palestine. Like he's just pro-Palestine. If Chelsea Manning and this guy can be banned on left-wing politics, then it really does open a question on like the definition of bad character and how this vague, really vague idea, this really vague concept can be used violently the same way that i guess the hijab ban we just talked about earlier does you know they'll give you a really vague oh yeah just any religious symbol but it will only be used against hijabs and i think this is quite similar of course they sometimes use the ban for people who are actually like problematic but it does set a concerning precedent because that can be used however they deem necessary and i think it's especially concerning because it was not that long ago that peter dudden fucking notorious Peter Dutton, tried to deport a First Nations man, an Aboriginal man. He failed. The courts ended up ruling that he couldn't a couple of years ago. But, like, he was trying to fucking deport an Aboriginal person. Like, how can you even do that? Our laws are fucked when it comes to deportation. And I don't think that we should take that lightly. So while, like, we can have fun and celebrate Katie Hopkins getting fucked over, I think it's kind of scary what that could mean for other people who aren't as guilty as her, but who are considered guilty in the eyes of the government because they have like revolutionary politics or because they're like anti-establishment. Yeah, exactly. Also, just a side note, I, I'm i not convinced that half of these fucking alt-right commentators like really believe half the shit they say. Like, I think most of the time, these people are just fucking grifters. Yeah, you know, I think they're just scam artists that manage to find a career just spouting absolute nonsense, just becoming a personality from it. I think- Oh, it's just it's just so frustrating. It makes my blood boil. There was a publication that called um, Katie Hopkins a professional troll. Mm. Like that's just her job, which I think is true. But I also genuinely believe that she is like she very much believes her anti-Muslim. I don't think she believes all of the shit she says, but I think she definitely believes the race stuff that she says. Oh, sure. yeah. Not to downplay like the very legitimate impact that her hate has but also, I think that a lot of these people are just sort of these grifters that have found uh, a very dedicated fan base by just spouting the most hateful nonsense they could possibly mm. think of. And some people eat that shit up. But I think they're smarter. They're smart enough to know that they're just being fucking awful. Yeah, I'm sure like they enjoy like knowing that they could literally say anything. And as long as it's like racist, they'll get a paycheck. Mm. Actually, I think there was some discourse about that with Katie Hopkins in the past. So people were like, oh, you just say this shit because then you'll get paid to go on these right wing like channels or whatever. But anyways, anyways, I feel like I just, wow, I powered through that so fast. I just fucking flew through that. I was just, my blood was boiling. I was just going at it. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized like that's, that's pretty much, that's the topic. That's what I wanted to talk about today. But yeah, like the Katie Hopkins situation, I think actually enlightens us to a lot of issues in Australian society. Obviously the first one being that we let her in in the first place. Um, But just what this even says for, like, the entertainment industry in Australia, what we think is entertainment, how much we actually take racism seriously, how much we victim-blame people who experience racism, and then how we give platforms to these people and treat their behaviour like it's funny and like it's okay. And then we go and, like, villainise and demonise people who are victims of racism who speak out against these things. It's just shocking. And I think we need to have far more critical. We have, you need to have a far more critical approach to shitty, like racist reality TV as well. Let's have some conversations on that. And let's just like fucking hold these places to account as well. I think Channel 7, God, like we need to be holding that to account. We need to be calling this shit out because they're just going to keep doing racist shit if it's profitable for them. So we have to make it not profitable for them. 
Before we end the episode today, I thought I would let you guys know that we have some bonus content going live on Friday. A couple of weeks ago, we actually interviewed Grafton Tanner, whose book we discussed pretty in-depth actually in our nostalgia episode. So we have an interview going live all about nostalgia and colonialism and racism, which I think you guys would actually really enjoy because everybody seems to really resonate with our episode on nostalgia. So keep an eye out for that one. That's going to come out on Friday for you. Cool. Yes, I'm very excited for that one. Anyways, I think now is a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is you, our lovely, lovely listeners. Uh, Specifically, we'd like to thank Pia, Sarah, Liz, Belle, and Katie. So thank you so, so much. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. And if signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official. And give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And follow my Instagram at Mitch's.miscellanea for discussions around film, books, and music. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at here's the thing though podcast at gmail.com. And please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info. Of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Cool. Bye. Bye.